Hi, my name is Thomas Johnson, and I'm the founder and CEO of Get Up and Get Fit Wellness Concierge. I'm also a C-suite advisor and investor, and you're listening to the How May I Serve You podcast, where I'm constantly on the quest to surround myself with the best coaches while learning how to better serve our executive clientele by asking them, how may I serve you? Today's show is sponsored by Get Up and Get Fits. Get Up and Get Fits will be providing students with textbooks and school supplies in Cambodia in honor of our guests today, as well as our philanthropic mission to impact at least 50,000 people per year. And today's guest is Michael Hopkins. Michael, how are you? Hey there, I'm doing very well, thank you. Awesome, awesome. So Michael Hopkins left his career as a surgical neurophysiologist in 2016 to spend two years traveling the world. That sounds amazing. And launching a leader cleanup campaign, a leader cleanup campaign. Okay. Now back in New York City, Michael brings his unique experience and perspective to his role as an executive function coach while working on an invention as a first-time entrepreneur. Michael, that sounds interesting. So you left your career as a surgical neurophysiologist to become an entrepreneur and function coach. That's right. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So Michael, listen, let's just dive into your story, right? Um, tell us the too many version of who is Michael Hopkins. Um yeah, sure. Okay. So I guess, um, as you already said, I'm trained as a, as a neuroscientist. Um, I started out my career in um, surgery during surgical neurophysiology. Um, I, I, I then left and spent a couple of years backpacking around the world. Um, I'm born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, I moved to the United States when I was a, a preteen. And um, I call New York City home. Um, this is where I've been on and off for my whole adult life, I guess. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm now um, in the thick of it, trying to uh, navigate this big pivot in my career, um, shifting gears onto entrepreneurship, uh, trying to start a company, or I should say starting a company. Um, and, and yeah, as far as... Um, my work um, since coming back to New York City um, to do this business venture, I've been um, uh, maintaining some amount, at least, of um, of active income through executive function coaching, and I also do some um, some research and report writing for a friend of mine who has a website um, doing uh, product reviews for consumers. Nice, nice. So it sounds like you definitely keep yourself occupied. I try to, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's um, that's uh, uh, kind of a necessity for me. I, I, um, I, I have a hard time with not being occupied. There you go. There you go. You know, now you're in New York, right? The concrete jungle. Yeah, you, you have to keep yourself moving. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. That is a that is a fact. Yeah, I love it here. So, talk to me about your transition from a border Canada to New York City. That must have been a huge transition. Um, yeah, you know, it was, I, the funny thing is actually, I remember, um, thinking back to when we, when my family moved, 
Um, we, you know, I was born and raised in Canada. We didn't know much about um, the United States outside of all of the the same stereotypes that people know <laughs> anywhere else in the world. You know, I had family in the U.S., but um, but I didn't. I wouldn't say that I really um, knew a whole lot about what I was getting into. And um, so we kind of knew like California, everybody surfs and everyone has a tan. And then New York <laughs> is the concrete jungle and it's crazy and scary and dangerous and, and all this stuff. So when I moved, um, there was this big concern among my friends. And I don't know if I really felt nervous about it, but like there was this idea that we were going to be in New York City. And the reality actually couldn't be uh, further from the truth. Where my family actually lives and where we moved to is a, a tiny, tiny little town in the middle of nowhere up in the Adirondack Mountains, um, surrounded by just the mountains and, and farmland. I mean, it's it's one of the least densely populated counties in, in all of the U.S. Um, I ended up going to school um, in a in a school system that had all of kindergarten to 12th grade in the same building. Wow. Um, my graduating class in school was 28 kids. And um, and even and that was a public school. You know, we actually combined three towns together to make that 28 kid class. And uh, and then even considering that it's in New York State, it's it's like further from the city than, um, you know, Washington, D.C. I mean, it's so far from from New York City. It's like in seven or eight hour drive uh, to my parents' house. So that was quite a different experience than we were expecting, especially because, you know, I grew up in Edmonton mm -hmm. and it's a small city. It's not, it's nothing like New York, um, but it is a city, you know? And so I had actually, um, I was actually born and raised using public transportation and, you know, going, going around the city on a bus and things like that. And then getting to uh, uh, Hopkinton, New York, where my family lives now was, um, yeah, it was really um, quite a different experience. Today's episode is sponsored by Get Up and Get Fit. Being an executive can be very demanding. Your schedule is unpredictable. You have conflicting responsibilities that pull you in multiple directions at once. You travel too much, work late hours, and cross time zones, all things that wreak havoc on your body. This is why having a wellness support team is necessary. Get Up and Get Fit is the wellness concierge support that busy executives, entrepreneurs, and celebs rely on to keep them healthy and fit despite their hectic schedules. A body under prolonged stress is not a healthy body. Time to reduce your stress. Increase your energy, flexibility, strength, and endurance so you can enjoy life instead of just living it. Go to getupandgetfit.com. That's G-E-T-U-P-N-G-E-T-F-I-T. Com and schedule your consultation right now. Get up and get fit. It's a lifestyle. Yes, indeed, man. You know, New York State and New York City, two completely Very different, different cultures. Things. Yeah. <laughs> different cultures, man, because... Absolutely. Um, I went to school upstate New York, um, Plattsburgh State, and I did, that's I, right. I remember and, that. And and I climbed. I actually climbed the Adirondacks because I I also did um rock climbing as a second minor just for fun. So I climbed yeah. the Adirondacks, you know. So so yeah, you definitely had an experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. So so my uh, Michael, um, let's uh, let's talk more about your transition, right? Because you were a neurophysiologist, a neurosurgeon. 
So you decided to stop and you took a break to go traveling. Um, talk to us about that, man. Yeah. Um, so just to clarify, not a neurosurgeon. Um, I am a, a neuroscientist PhD. Neuro I don't have a, I'm not a physician. Got it. Yeah. But I, but yes, working in neurosurgery is accurate. And it, and, um, and I was every day going into the operating room and it was, um, the job itself was in surgery. Um, but as a sort of as a real time consultant for the surgeon to, um, ensure that they don't run into any, um, issues while they're performing the surgery that would result in the patient waking up with some deficit, but we can leave that aside for now. Um, so the transition, yeah, I mean, you know, it was, um, it was a time in my life when a lot of things were changing for me. Um, I had kind of been on a very straight and narrow path uh, all the way through my childhood and into college um, as an undergrad straight out of high school. And then I tried to go straight into the PhD program out of undergrad, um, but I was sidetracked for a few years. I needed to get more experience. I worked in a lab, blah, blah, blah. But in any event, I had my eye on the prize. I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to do research. I wanted to be an academic, and and I followed that um, all the way through completing my PhD and then landing in this career that I thought was uh, perfect for me because um, I actually, you know, I I felt that by shifting out of um, academia and into neurosurgery, it really gave me the opportunity to feel like my day-to-day -day work was having some kind of an impact. Like I was really, you know, helping things, doing good work. And, and a lot of times with science, um, you can, you know, and this happens to a lot of people, it's certainly mm -hmm. not a unique experience for me, but you end up, especially when you do uh, bench science, um, is you can end up really feeling like you're, the work you do on a day-to-day -day basis, you know that it's good work, but it's really hard to imagine the applications or the way that it's actually going to get brought from the lab into the real world and have an impact. And that was something I struggled with um, as I was trying to choose my career. In any event, um, I ended up in this role um, uh, in surgical neurophysiology. And, you know, to be honest with you, um, it just for a lot of different reasons, it it I became disillusioned with the um, with the healthcare industry as a whole. I think okay. my job itself, I I still feel really passionate about. I love that work. I I wish that I um, felt like it was sustainable for me. But the reality is, um, I had uh, increasingly um, more and more issues with the way that our that our healthcare is provided in this country. The um, it just felt to me like we were working too hard to create profit for insurance companies and for the hospitals and the administrators and there wasn't enough focus on um the patient's well-being and actually you know and actually serving the patients who were coming in for surgery so i just had a lot of i had a lot of issues developing over the my my relatively short career um in that field and uh ultimately um you know i made the decision it, this also happened, as you said, in 2016. So there was a lot going on politically in the country. Mm -hmm. There was a lot going on for me in my personal life. And I reached a point where I just felt like, you know what, I need to step away from this. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to take, I want to use my skills. I want to use my education. I want to, I want to make the most out of, out of everything that I, that I'm passionate about and, and that I care about, but I need to find another outlet. Um, because I don't feel like as a, um, almost as a, I, I think as a, um, a matter of principle, I don't feel comfortable anymore participating in this, um, in this, in this healthcare system. So I, so I, rather than, um, 
jumping into an, another job, I actually did what I had wanted to do for my entire life, <laughs> which is ever since I was a kid, I always imagined that when I grew up, you know, as soon as I get through this next phase, whether it's get out of high school or get through college or get through my PhD, I always had this this idea in my head that once I got to the next step, I would take time off and I would go travel and I would get to fulfill my my forever uh, fantasy of of seeing the world and 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 doing more exploring um, in in places I didn't know and and so I decided this was the perfect opportunity for me to do it. Um, mm -hmm. It was a little later in the in the in the process than I had ever anticipated, but you know the opportunity just seemed to present itself, and I decided I'm just going to step away um, from the whole thing for now. I'm going to go spend this time traveling. I have, you know, I, I was lucky in the sense that, um, I didn't have any, um, any, any obligations or, um, you know, I don't have children. I didn't have anything tying me, um, to the U S or tying me to my, to my apartment. So I sold my car, I sold all my things and, um, and I headed off, uh, starting in Iceland and then made my way around Europe and Asia and all through Central and South America and eventually to Mexico. That sounds amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. <laughs> it was, it, I mean, I, I have to say, I don't regret, uh, one, one, one minute of it. That's awesome right there, man. So, so doing your, your travels, right? This is, this is, this is when you got that spark of, of curiosity, right? And insight yeah. to, to, to to create a company to work towards entrepreneurship. So let's yeah. dive into that. Cause sometimes, you know, when you're outside of the element, when you are exploring, that's when you get these phenomenal ideas. So yeah. walk, us, walk us through that, walk us through your, um, your discovery, man. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, basically what, during the trip itself, I ended up doing a lot of volunteer work. Um, I, as, as I said to you at the beginning of the call, I have a hard time not keeping busy. So I, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, as much as I enjoyed laying by the beach and reading and going for jobs, uh, jogs and, and don't get me wrong. I absolutely, um, I loved having that time off. I always kind of felt like I could be doing something else. You know, I'd mm -hmm. like to do something more. So I ended up kind of getting into a rhythm where I would stay rather than um, bouncing around from place to place every few days or every week, I would kind of settle into um, a country or, or, or a town and I would um, take on these different volunteer gigs that you can um, that you can kind of get matched with. I used a few different platforms. One I worked one that I used a bunch of times is called Woof. Um, it's a worldwide um, worldwide opportunities and organic farming, I want to say it's been a long time. But anyway, you it's kind of like Airbnb for volunteerism. You can look on the map and find pins and and uh, and and reach out to those people, and they they may need someone to help them, you know, with manual labor. It may need something like feeding their goats. It could be any number of things. And you go and stay with them. They provide you with usually a um, place to sleep and and a meal, and you can work there for you know a, a weeks or months or however long. So I did that a lot from country to country, and and. Um, as I was kind of making my way through um, Southeast Asia, particularly, I started reflecting on the fact that, you know, um, there's there's a lot of different solutions uh, around the, the planet for serving this this universal basic necessity that every every one of us has, which is a place to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and um, and I, you know, I kind of come from a perspective that we were um, that this, you know, this was uh the the toilet um is something that we have 
it's as good as it's going to get. Like the United States or North America, um, the toilet that we're using is probably the the best one there is around. And and um, and you know that just kind of comes from that bias um, that I think that we're um, that we're taught growing up, which is that um, this is a good life. We live in a good country. It's a rich country. We have you know we have access to the best of everything. And what I started to notice was that um, between all of these other ways to solve the problem of 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 having a toilet i wouldn't i didn't feel like any of them was necessarily better um than the than the toilet that we use in the us but um but i did feel like one thing all the different toilets had in common is they did have their different advantages and disadvantages you know there were some there were some things about squatting toilets um you know having bidet attachments uh, the high gravity fed water tank different things that really seemed to make a lot more sense to me than the toilets that we use in the us and what I really felt that they all had in common was um, at the end of the day, they're they're all still uh, dirty and gross. Um, <laughs> none of them are actually good. <laughs> True. And so it just started to, it, 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 was, it was a thought that just grew and grew. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, this is something that really needs, uh, it needs an upgrade. And, and it's been such a long time. I started doing a little research into the history of the toilet. And I realized that the, the design that we use is actually, um, was was developed in 1596. Whoa, <laughs> and uh, and and you know the only changes really have been the invention of plumbing, obviously, which is a big one, um, and then making it out of porcelain rather than you know wood. And but this this whole idea of a big open bowl with like a, a hinged lid and a hinged seat that are connected in multiple layers, it gets so gr grimy and so scummy. And even when you go to um, you know Japan and you see these incredibly high-tech toilets that have their bluetooth enabled they play music their heated seats they they do all of this stuff it's still the same um really kind of gross design that's hard to clean you know droplets splatter all over the place there's a huge plume of 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 um fecal matter uh fecal matter yeah for lack of a better <laughs> word you know potentially pathogenic material that's that 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 explodes out of it every time you flush it and i just thought why don't we just start from scratch and design a toilet from the ground up that is, you know, physiologically optimized for the way that we as humans are, are designed to go to the bathroom. Let's make it more hygienic and cleaner so that it's, it's number one, easier to clean. And number two, doesn't just get it, get dirty all of the time. Um, and number three, make it sustainable so that we're really taking advantage of the latest technology in terms of low flow uh, water supply, keeping it as you know low impact as possible and something that can be mechanical rather than um, high tech. So something that we can actually put in everywhere and it doesn't depend on on having an electrical outlet um, and you know all of the features that sort of smart toilets today um, have incorporated. And, and the more I thought about it, the more I felt like this is doable. Um, this is absolutely something that it's not that it's it's actually not that um, complicated. There's a lot of ways we can. There's a lot of changes we can make to the toilet design that have a really high yield in terms of their improvement on the overall on those three features. You know, those three aspects: hygienics, ergonomics, and sustainability. And we can do it all just by some simple design changes. So. Um, it took a while of me kind of thinking about it, talking about it with people. And as I said, after my two years backpacking, I actually moved to Mexico and I was living there for a year, um, helping some friends to run a, a boutique hotel and yoga studio that they had started. And it was during that year that I really started thinking, okay, 
I want to get back into the workforce. I want to think, you know, this has been wonderful. This experience has been incredible, but what is it I'm actually going to do? And, it, and, 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 you know, to be honest with you, one of the big things I was facing was um, I'm going to run out of money and I want to be able to um, set myself up so that I can actually have a life in another country, whether it's Mexico, Colombia, Panama, or one of the other places I really fell in love with. Um, but I need to I need to set myself up first with a bigger cushion. I need to get enough capital so that um, when I do leave uh, the United States and 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 buy some land and build myself a house and try to make what I have and and I still have in my mind as this um, ultimate utopia where I'll grow you know all of uh, a, a, a very wide variety of fresh fruits and vegetables and do sort of um, an off the grid situation. Um, I need to get some capital first. So I started just um, going through and trying to think what are my, um, you know, what are my passions? What are my skills? What are the best things that I can bring and offer? And and this is so also during a period in time when I think, and and this shift is now really in full swing where a lot of young adults um, had really started investing and thinking about their personal brand. And like, what is it that, that m me as a human can offer um, considering ourselves in a way as a commodity and and thinking about that um, I thought about my you know my my um, ability to execute to follow through to do research to learn about things to to break them down and understand them and I thought I think I can I think that I can uh, apply the, the 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 interests I have and the skills that I have into into starting this business okay. and so I came back for that reason. So, so Michael, um, now, as 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 I think about what you're what what you share with us, right? Um, normally, when people buy a house, right, they make all types of exterior designs, interior designs, but nobody thinks about a toilet, man. No, nobody think right. nobody thinks about having some type of fancy toilet. How are you going to change the consumer's mindset when it comes to the toilet, right? Yeah, the the the, the the toilet that we are so used to um, using. I mean, like I said, we don't we don't have a second thought when it comes to the toilet. Like, what yeah. what, is, what is your your um, I guess your your approach to this? Yeah, what's the what's going to be the rollout? Right? How do we go? How do we get people interested? Well, actually, it's interesting. So, first of all, you're exactly right. It is it's a it's a pretty large um, hurdle to overcome. It's a big obstacle. Not only do people not typically think about replacing their toilet. Um, they don't give it much thought, but it's also um, inherently kind of an uncomfortable topic. It's not something that generally people want to talk about. They don't necessarily want to think about it. Um, so the way that we've actually approached um, that is to um, plan the rollout initially in 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 targeting um, clients who are operating um, sort of a a. a, a public institution or a private institution that has shared bathrooms. So thinking about um, places where a lot of different people are using the toilet mm. um, and, and so not necessarily in the home to start with. So this okay. would be schools, universities, um, hospitals, uh, hotel, like a boutique hotel, hotel chain, um, malls, um, eventually maybe restaurants. And the idea would be to bring it in as sort of this um, option, an alternative option of a different experience and start getting people to visually and, and sort of get a little recognition out there from this, um, from viewing it as this interesting thing that they could try 
um, that would be available in, in one of these places, whether it's a hospital, university, or otherwise, um, or you know, public libraries, things like that, and, and, and start kind of getting it out there for people to, um, to begin familiarizing themselves with in a low stakes environment. Because I think the idea of trying to get somebody to purchase one of these and put it into their home uh, without having sort of established that, that recognition um, would be a, a futile effort. Gotcha. Um, okay. I do want to say one thing, <laughs> and, and this is, um, you know, I, I really hope that um, someday in the future, this is something I can look back at and point to as one of those examples where, um, you know, businesses in their early phases need to do some major pivots before they land on, on what really works. Mm -hmm. And um, and give you a little update, which is that um, we have actually realized over the course of developing this product, um, and and if you know if you want to, we can talk about the early fundraising and things like that 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 we that we, you know, the things that we that we did on the way to making the prototype, but ultimately um, it has proven to be in a way a bridge too far to start from scratch, to start with a company that has no infrastructure, that has no um, established relationships and, and actually build a toilet. And so what we're doing, um, and this is what I was saying about the pivot, is that um, all along, you know, with the, con with, the, with, the, with the conception of the idea in the toilet, the, it included this, um, this, this other uh, consumable product, which was a, a non-toxic, non-corrosive cleaning capsule that would go into the tank and um, not only freshen and disinfect the water with every flush, um, but it wouldn't damage the pipes. It wouldn't. It wouldn't damage the plumbing, and it wouldn't contribute any any um, toxins or contamination into the environment. So and leave cool. a, yeah, it's kind of like the tidy bowl puck or those things that you see in the back of the tank that dye the water blue. But really, something mm -hmm. that would be kind of next generation. So not only being clean and clean in an environmental standpoint, but also, and and this is a key feature. Um, incorporate what um, toilet sprays do. So I don't know. Are you familiar with Poopery? I am. I definitely. Yeah. Am. So Poopery is is relatively new product, but it's really taken off like gangbusters. It's becoming mm -hmm. a you know a household item. I think it might have been on Shark Tank to start with. But um, but in any event, it's it's a wonderful product. It's really incredible. It actually works. And for anybody who doesn't know, this is something that you spray onto the the surface of the water before you go to the bathroom, and it makes like a uh, an odor barrier. It coats the water with a layer of, of um, essential oils, basically floating on uh, on, an, on, a, on on the surface, and it traps any smells um, and, and traps them in the bowl. And what we're so so anyway, not to go on too far of a tangent, but we were always going to make this product that we wanted to to incorporate into this new toilet system um, that would achieve the same uh, outcome as spraying the poopery on the water bowl, but it would just be there all the time. So when you flush the toilet, it coats the water and it stays there. It doesn't all evaporate and disappear so that the user doesn't have to know to spray the the, the poopery on before they come in the bathroom. And, and I felt like that was a an important pain point with that product because a lot of times you may have it in your bathroom or somebody may have it, but if the other person doesn't know about it, it doesn't do anything for you because it's not a room spray. And so what we're actually doing now is we're entirely, um, we've entirely pivoted onto focusing exclusively on that product, getting this, um, this cleaning toilet capsule out to the market, getting it into the hands of consumers and, um, and, and addressing that issue that you brought up um, in, in exactly that way, that we need something that has a lower barrier to entry that we can actually roll out 
and um, and has a much lower stakes for people to to try out and to buy. And the goal is then to use the revenue generated from that cleaning capsule, which of course will be compatible for regular toilets as well, mm-hmm. and use that to develop the the actual toilet. So so just in the time I've been back doing it, we've we've completely shifted gears. So I'm not forgetting about the toilet. I, I don't want to let go of the toilet, but for now, the toilet is on the back burner. Gotcha. So um as you speak about the poopery, like uh, the idea comes to mind because um, I have a bidet. I have a bidet attachment to my toilet. Yes. So <laughs> I'm pretty. So do I. <laughs> it's, it's very healthy. Um, yeah. So is, is this spray going to be attached to the bidet where it allows you to spray directly into the toilet bowl, into the water, like automatic? So, no. So actually what we're doing is we're, um, we've identified and we're taking advantage of this um, micro encapsulation technology. So this okay. is, um, it's, there's a lab that I'm working with up at Clarkson University, also in the Adirondacks upstate, um, where they, they actually um, can basically trap different substances. Right now, they're, it's, it's primarily used for drug delivery, um, believe it or not, to get things into your body and, and where they need to be within the bloodstream before, before the outer shell dissolves. And so you can basically, um, protect something in a in a teeny tiny little bead, um, and then that bead will either dissolve slowly, or it will be triggered by a change in pH or temperature, or something will allow that outer shell to dissolve, and then the contents will be released. And what we're actually doing is we're taking advantage of that technology to make a um, this this toilet cleaning um, capsule. You can think of it maybe we, we we actually the final shape and 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 composition of it is is still to be determined. We're in the mm-hmm. we're still in the testing phases to figure that out. But you could imagine it either as as a capsule or as a little puck that would go in the tank. And every time the water flushes into the bowl, um, it would uh, pass over this capsule and then it would enter into the the toilet bowl. Um, while it's flushing to rinse, disinfect the bowl, and then leave this layer on top. And the big difference is that when you use the poopery spray, um, once you spray it onto the bowl, you only have a few minutes before it's all dissolved and evaporated. Um, There's nothing basically holding it there. And so that's why you have to spray it every time before you go. And the idea with this is that um, there'd be different... there basically be um, different properties of these shells. So some of them, some of it would be dissolved onto the surface immediately. Um, others would dissolve at a slower rate. And ultimately you'd get about um, between six and eight hours where this layer of uh, odor barrier is remaining on top of the water uh, between uses. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, so Michael, <laughs> um, what's the, um, the release date? What's the time frame um, of which this product is going to be released? Are you guys close yeah. to execution? Um, I, I I sure hope we are, but um, <laughs> the reality the reality is that um, we are very we're very much in fundraising mode again. So the the initial um, money that we had raised uh, when we launched the company went into prototype development and design for the toilet. Over the course of that of, of a, almost a year. Um, of kind of coming to terms with the fact that we were going to have to shift gears and focus on this capsule as our first release. Um, we have, uh, you know, entered into sort of a holding pattern where we, we, we really need to get another round of investors who are excited about the cleaning capsule um, and then use that to get the product onto the market. So the, the best case scenario right now, if we're able to secure the funding um, I suppose by tomorrow would be that we'd have something out for testing mm-hmm. um, in about six months. 
Okay. Um, depending on how long it takes for us to get that this next round of funding raised, um, that you know that obviously can be longer. Got you. So, where can people um, go to see your journey? Right, because right now you're you, you're on a journey. You're trying to get to the next step, yeah. so you could this out to the public. <laughs> where where yeah, can people follow you. you for that? Thank you for that. Um, yeah, so the the company does have a website. Um, it's so the company is called All by Four D. Um, a L L the word all B Y and then the number four and the letter D and so all by four D.com is our website. Um, we're actually also just in the process of, 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 um, kind of revamping our landing page based on a, a lot of feedback we got from, um, from, from, uh, different consumers and, and people we've spoken to. Um, so it's all up and running there. You can, you can learn a lot about the capsule. Um, you can learn about the toilet and, um, and in the meantime, we're, we're, we're kind of shifting gears with the website so that when you get there, it's a lot more clear exactly what the product is, what it is that it's going to do and how it, and, and why a consumer would want it right now. Um, it's, we, it, there's, there's sort of this bigger picture, um, uh, vibe on the website where it's a lot about what the company wants to do, what we want to, you know, the, the values that we want to, um, that we want to live by and, and, and grow from as a, as a, as a corporation. Um, and we really need to shift that so that it's much more focused on the product we're trying to sell. And so we're doing that right now. It's a, it's a constantly evolving process. Um, <laughs> as you know, so as an entrepreneur, um, yeah. what key lesson would you say you have learned throughout this process? Uh, um, well, I think a lot. Um, there's, so one thing, um, one thing comes to mind immediately that I don't know if it's, if it's, um, I feel like there's, there's, there's a much more inspiring and ex an exciting answer um, that I'd like to give, but I'll tell you a practical thing that we learned, um, which was a hard lesson, which is that, um, when we did initially raise that money to do the prototype for the for the the Sovos, that was the toilet idea. Um, we made a we made the mistake of um, contracting a a large firm who has a lot of experience and a very great track record in in making prototypes and working with companies to build out their designs and get a prototype up and running. And um, the reality is that we had, you know, I'd, I'd done a, a, a lot of, um, I'd spoken with a lot of uh, prototyping companies. I'd spoken to different contractors and engineering design groups to try to get a really tight budget on how much money we would need to make this toilet and what we would need for our legal fees, the incorporation, all the documents and, and any other operating costs. And we used that as our number for the initial raise to get this prototype built. And working with a large firm like that, we ended up with a team of about seven people working on the project. And um, we, you know, we were operating off of the estimate, the budget estimate that they gave us. And um, what I learned, you know, the hard way is that when your entire operating budget and the and all the money you have for the company is um, accounted for and you're and you need it to get this one thing accomplished. Um, you should not uh, immediately start off by hiring a, a large firm where you're paying salaries for a, a half a dozen employees wow. who are putting in a couple hours a week on your project. So basically, um, as you might guess, the money disappeared extremely quickly, almost mm -hmm. before they had done anything. Wow. Um, and we didn't come even close to hitting. Our, I mean, we, we did make some very serious progress. I shouldn't say we didn't come close, but we 
we fell quite a bit short of the estimate or, you know, the estimate ended up quite a bit greater than what we were quoted. And a huge amount of time and money was lost just getting a team of people up to speed on exactly what we had already done in terms of design and development, getting them to understand the challenges we needed to solve, getting everybody kind of on board. Um, and so the long story short of this is that um, what I know now is a, as, as somebody who's who's trying to make every penny count and, and use every dollar in the, in the most efficient way that I can, um, we really should have gone with um, a you know young hungry eager engineer freelancer independent contractor to get as far as we could with that person and then take it to um to a to a a firm or a manufacturing company to just execute the fabrication of the prototype because um that was a, a pretty costly mistake yeah baby you know what though when it comes to entrepreneurship you know it's a uh, you know you have to learn on the go sometimes yeah, it's a school of hard, hard knocks. You, know, you have yeah. to go through certain things, beat your head down a few times, eat dirt a few times before yeah. you're able to um succeed. So yeah, there, and you know, there's, there's I, no I look, else. I look back on on how that decision was made, and I'm you know I was kicking myself for a while trying to think how why did I do this? Why did I go with these firms? What was I thinking? And I realized if I were to do it all over, I mean, knowing what I do, what I know now, I would never do it all over again. But at the time. I was trying to use the best practices and best advice I could find. You know, I was reading every blog post. I was reading all these things about starting a company and do's yeah. and don'ts and what. And and I got very pushed to go with a big firm. You know, don't trust don't trust your idea to just some one one person who's you know a, a new a, a new graduate who's trying to um, because they're they may be unreliable or you may not know what you're getting into or all these unknowns. And so it really was um, something that I think in trying really hard to do the to do it the right way and not cut mm -hmm. any corners, um, it was just yeah, it was just it was a hard lesson. Um, but you know there there are places where you just you need to um, you need to take the context and sort of where you're at uh, into account, not just the the general advice that may be distributed for you know a, across the board as a as a, a a blog post for everybody or whatever. So. Yes, indeed, definitely, definitely, and I'm pretty sure a lot of entrepreneurs and other other new um, business owners are going to be elated, um, you know, thankful for what you share with us today because that's a lesson. <laughs> that's a huge lesson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and know? actually, there, I, I'd like, to, I'd love to add one more thing onto there, um, just in terms of big lessons. And I think this is a bit trite. I think people say it a lot about entrepreneurship, but I have to just underscore and really emphasize how true it is. Um, you really have to be ready to let go of your own personally held feelings and attachments to some of your ideas and just listen to the feedback and listen to, um, you know, the, what's going on around you. For me, it was a, a really hard transition to to pivot off of the toilet and really shift onto this capsule. And the one of the things that I think I stumbled over a lot and I and I continue to stumble on because, you know, this is um, it's it's all a learning process is that you um, you can't you can't pitch um, a, a Swiss army knife of of different features. And, and this is going to do this and that and it's going to fix this and it's going to, you know, you really got to just find one thing if you want people to understand and you want them to get behind your idea. You have to have a single, a single clear 
idea. And, mm -hmm. and what I've been stumbling with a lot with the toilet, because we're kind of like, oh, it does this and it has this feature and it incorporates this is you, people don't have the, they don't have the attention span and they don't really have the interest to sit around trying to figure out what it is that ultimately this thing is going to do. They need to know um, immediately. And so if I could give one other big lesson learned, it's um, really figure out how to distill your, um, your concept down into one primary value proposition and and maybe there can be a secondary component um but but certainly not four features that you're trying to change <laughs> definitely you know simplicity is the key man you have to be as simple yeah. and concise as possible so you could you Absolutely. could really you know um grab that attention <laughs> that's the key Absolutely. you have to grab that attention you know yes but you know what um michael um thank you for coming on today's episode of how may i serve you and I'd also like to thank all of our listeners and viewers for lending us their ears and their eyeballs. And I have one last question for you, and that is, how may I serve you, Michael? Oh, you know what? I forgot. I knew you were going to ask that, and I forgot. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think, honestly, I mean, you're, you're serving me right now. This is wonderful. Thank you for – I really appreciate that you're talking to me. I appreciate that your interest in, in having me on the show. Um, I've been actually um, – uh, a big fan of yours since um, since we met. I've been I've started watching and listening to your podcast. I think what you're doing is great work. I love that you're putting all this information out there for people, and I love the philanthropic stuff you're doing. So, I guess you can serve me by just um, continue on with uh, with your mission and and keep going. Yes, indeed, and I shall definitely. And I'm I'm looking forward to all all the work you're doing, man. I'm looking forward to that new innovation. I'm looking forward to the toilet design because. As a health, as a health person, right? As a wellness yeah. executive, um, executive wellness coach, people like you are are folks that make my life better because you help <laughs> my clients, right? <laughs> you help the clients. If you help the clients, I hope so. That, that's the goal, right there. So just continue doing yeah. what you're doing, and thank you. Let's let's let's, let's save this world. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. Of course. So, um. Once again, this is your host, Thomas Johnson. If you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to share with someone that will benefit. And make sure to tune in for next week's episode. Take care. Be blessed. Cheers. We're out.